So um, surprisingly enough, this is um, episode 44. Remember last week, <laughs> we didn't even know we had made it to 40 episodes, but this is episode 44 of the now named Golf Performance Group podcast. But we are going through some rebranding and some changing, but I'm your host, LeBron Palmer, and we also have... Uh, JJ Wood, the golf bod and college recruiting coach. Oh, now, now, yes. Now we've got some some extra layers to this thing. You know, I'll, I'm the on-course correspondent and you are the official college recruiting coach now also. So we've got it yeah, going. So if they, you know, they see a golf bod walking around, you know, they'll know to ask <laughs> me some questions. So I got to keep my, my physique, you know, how it is. So they yeah. can identify the, the prime dad slash golf bod. And yeah. So no, they can ask me a couple questions. So, so how did the end of your week go? I know we um, have a winner. Um, congratulations to you for picking Rom on our uh, special last he, week. He, I didn't, he's lucky I didn't place a bet on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm gonna pull up here real quick because we can jump right into it. Kind of share some details with what happened on the U.S. Open. So we wanted to talk a little bit of both, not only your um, standard, you know, all players, which we've got here. Let's talk about the top 10 a little bit, because to be honest, this was a packed leaderboard. I mean, for the first time in about three or four years, you had like really a lot of your top five guys making their way into the top 10. Yeah, at certain points on Saturday and Sunday, you had all of the, you know, Rory, DJ, Kepka, Bryson, Rom. Morikawa, you know, everybody. Xander. Everybody, everybody. And I, and I feel bad for King Louis because in reality, it was his tournament to win. I mean, it was his tournament to win. And I mean, he's the king. I think Jack Nicholas had like 18 runner-ups in major. Yeah. And Louis, I think, at seven. So he's got 11 to go. But uh, he's modern day, you know, the king of runner-ups. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, watch, watching that, you know, the last nine holes, of course, um, that, that's when, you know, Rom he just went on that incredible tear. And when he got to six under, I was like, well, <clears throat> Luis still has three holes left. He's going to win the tournament. I can't believe that shot on 17. <laughs> that's what I was going to get to. I've done that so many times. That's what I was going to ask you. Okay, so as a, you know, a, a, a pro-level player, what, what's the mindset that he had on 17? So, obviously, he's playing well, right? He's one back of the lead at a U.S. Open. And so, U.S. Open comes with long rough, right? So, you had, you know, they kept saying, you have all of the United States to the right, you know? Yes, basically. yes. But he needs to make a birdie. And 18 is not an easy birdie. You got to hit the fairway there or you got to wedge it close. You know, it's not easy. So, he, you know, he made birdie on his – after his drop, right? He – or yeah. – yeah. Or yeah. wait, wait, did he make? No, he made bogey. He made bogey. He, uh, yeah. Or he made yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. he had like a gap wedge in, so it was a birdieable hole if he hits a fairway. So he's he's playing well. Obviously, if it's Thursday, he's probably just lining up down the middle, and he likes to cut it. He's probably trying to cut it to the right side. If anything, it goes to the rough. Oh well, chop it on the green, make your par get out of there. But he's playing well. It's Sunday with two holes to go, and. He probably tried to keep it down the right side, but you get just – golf is a game of inches, right? It's yeah. more than a game of inches. It's milliseconds, millimeters of club face control at a high speed of 115-plus miles an hour. 
I mean, he just had that little bit of flip in it or maybe had a little stall out, you know, hesitancy. And it just went – because it landed in play, I believe, and ran through. Um, so he wasn't way out there. He just had that, you know, half a degree of a closed face from a fraction, you know, hesitation or whatever. So, um, you know, I think he was trying to not not make par. I think he was trying to make birdie. He was trying to hit the fairway. So, Yeah, it's just, it's just shocking to see when – when the good guys on the tee do something like that, amateurs do, you know, and, and that's kind of what it felt like. It just felt like in the moment you, you, and I'm not saying that anyone folds because these are the greatest players in the world, but like you said, it's a, you know, it's tough. So, but, uh, you know, you know, the thing is like put an amateur in that situation, they would miss the golf ball. Oh, yeah, amateur in that situation is going to uh, make a 14 on the hole. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, gonna, <laughs> they may be an eight handicap, and they're going to miss the ball. That's, I mean, that's why going back to mental game, I mean, like golf, you can go play Torrey Pines and be like, I shot a 74, but yeah. don't realize, well, one course setup. I mean, it, they, I've played Olympic club in a national amateur tournament and then played it a year later in a USGA, US amateur, and it was six, seven shots harder. Like, yeah course setup wise with the rough the pin locations the fairways firm so they're funneling off it's ridiculous and then you add in the pressure you know another handful of shots you know so yeah. let's say yeah. you got 75 you're around the high 80s low 90s look at look at my boy joe highsmith i almost picked him yeah oh, but yeah. let me set it up though before you before you get into it so you know we of, of course congrats to john rom he went from should have won the memorial um, got Sunday, um, he had to leave the tournament venue because they said he had a case of COVID. Thankfully, the COVID didn't give him any symptoms that stopped him from being able to have the stamina down the stretch on a Sunday to win the U.S. Open. So congrats to John Rahm. Thankfully, they changed the quarantine for 14 days. Of I know. Because yes, that's what I was saying. The biggest, yeah, he lost out on $1.8 in a win, you know, good win. He's this playing so good, and he, he's on that verge of the best player without a major, you know? Yeah. So so one thing that we really like to focus on is the, the amateur side of the game. And this is the first time in the past four U.S. Opens that no amateur made the cut. So, you know, it's a little shocking, you know, to see no amateur make the cut. But we pulled up some, some people here to, to just kind of talk about, obviously, these are great players. But it just shows how difficult the course was. I mean – Plus five was low amateur, low amateur who didn't make the cut. Um, Andrew, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name exactly. Goes on. Um, goes on. I don't um, know. Yeah, so, so, you know, just pulling up some of their profiles. We were talking about it some before we got started. You know, th these guys, they played great, but when you're looking at your card, it's just like we talked about. It's a game of inches in round two. Well, I mean, birdies are so hard to come by yes. at those types of events. I mean, look at, you know, look at the par fours. Yeah, uh, you know they got number two is a fairly short one, but I bet it's tricky. Number four is a 480. Yeah, uh, you know rarely is it under 450. I think they said at the PGA Championship I played in, there's like four par fours under 475, and that's crazy to me. I there's mean, a handful over 500, and it rained all week. Like, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was ridiculous. Now let's talk about your boy Highsmith because you did almost pick him. Dude, look at his run. run he makes starting out on. Uh, on the front nine on round two. Yeah, let's look at his card real quick. So round two, front nine. 
He goes, I see Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. After I, I, you know, after I, the day before when I backed out on him, I see like 400. I'm like, oh, see, exactly. Like, I was going to pick him, but I don't. He plays well. And then what's my boy do? What, I take Cameron Young? He you goes, took Cameron he Young. Yeah, you took Cameron Young. I'm mattering, but uh, <laughs> you, you beat me on the amateur pick. Yeah, but but see, it just shows that like even with these guys, uh, I mean, these are these are great players. It just makes it tough. And then last year, the low amateur Joe Long, because I had kind of followed him some um, um, guy from England, I believe. He, um, you know, he was the low amateur last year, so he automatic qualified this year, but missed the cut also. And he just had a horrible stretch on the back, start the back nine. And once you get started like that, I was even impressed well, that he yeah, came so back. Yeah, a major like that, you get it's going to compound and compound unless you're able to mentally just like refresh after the shot. And that's actually that's what happened to me. I made an eight, and then I made a bogey for about the next five holes after I <laughs> like thirty six on the front on Friday. And it's it's hard. So let's talk about the amateur experience. Like we we know that that's a part of like you know what you do and and what you're passionate about. But let's kind of talk about how you know those players that we discussed. You know they're from middle school, high school, trying to get into college to attempting to qualify for something like the U.S. Open or Walker Cup or events like that. Kind of give some details on your process and working with players. Well, first off, nothing can replace experience. And that's what people don't, you know, really think about either is, you know, that's like most of those guys' first ever tour event. And it's not just a tour event. It's a major championship. And that was a situation I was in a few years ago. And so, you know, you may be hitting it as good as over half those guys out there. You may, you may be better in a casual round of golf, just like Rom, or Phil Mickelson said about Rom when he was like in college about to turn pro. And, uh, or it might've been after his first win at, at Torrey Pines. And uh, Phil was saying he, he like was 0-10 against Rom um, in their money game or, I don't know if they're allowed to call it money games, but their yeah. individual matches out Whisper Rock when Rom was in college. But then, you know, Rom wasn't, you know, win, you know, winning any tour events or competing. And I think he got into a few. And so some of these guys are their caliber of play is equal, but experience is everything. And so and the hard thing about a major championship is, you know, I called every coach, former coach of mine that I still talk to that coaches tour players and how should I prepare. And really, and they're like, look, at a, unless it's Augusta, every other course rotates, and you don't know. And every major is ran by a different organization, has a different strategy. You don't know where, like, wh- where they're going to tuck pins. And what I noticed is, you know, and I told, uh, I think I told Mario this when we were texting before he played. He's like, sometimes, you know, what we think traditional good course management hit to the fat part of the green. That's the worst place to be. You want to yeah. be short sided you know, yeah. long right to a back right pin because you're chipping up the hill versus middle of the green. You can't keep the putt on the green. And that's, and you don't know until you get there. I mean, until you show up and now guys like Phil and that have, you know, say 10 to 30 years of experience, of course. They've, seen, of course. they've seen everything. So in their practice rounds, they know what to look for all the different options and practice rounds are crucial. And that's basically the biggest advice is, you know, it, Obviously, you got to work on your mental game before getting there. But, you know, you've got to – your preparation once you arrive on property. Like, don't 
don't hit too many golf balls because it's cool. You know, all these store pros are on the range beside you. You're going to wear yourself out by Wednesday. And then, you know, when you're on the golf course, like do as much work as you can is not as much like hitting full swing shots, but chipping and putting and looking at different spots that are the safe spots, you know, to certain pins and, uh, doing a lot of the chipping to see how they react out of the rough, putting, get your speed control down. You got ridges, put up and down them. Um, but then just go focus on your breathing and focus on your, your pre-shot routine. And, you know, in post-shot routine is really important. Most people haven't heard of post-shot routine, but similar to pre-shot routine, but you need a post-shot routine to react appropriately so you can go into the next shot, you know, clear-headed without letting that, previous shot linger over so now the that's that's for you know the, the the highest of high level they're at the events you know those are those are the tips for that but I know you also work with people who are trying to make their way to that level they're trying to get to a college they are trying to progress their way through so so what are some of the parts of your you know put on your college recruiting coach um, hat now put put that hat on what are some of the things that you work with people on that you suggest as, as they matriculate their way through this golf world? Well, so, I mean, before I was actually a golf instructor, I, uh, I developed a step-by-step -step college recruiting manual. So when I was doing my master's degree at OU, uh, working in the athletic department, I had to write a 40-page paper. And I'm from a small town. No one got recruited, really. But we had talent. So... I made this, you know, step-by-step -step manual. Uh, and then, you know, there was, I made a Facebook page or something and people saw it and I started advising them because there are, there's a lot of myths out there. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, there's so many good players that get looked over, don't get a spot because they don't know the process. And then there's a lot of kids who are like, how did they end up at, you know, Stephen F. Austin division one school or, uh, Texas Tech or, you know, I beat them, you know, well, one, it goes off more than just beating them one time. Uh, but two, there's, you know, there's a process uh, to be recruited. So and now I put an online version, but this is kind of the outline, you know, so prior, you know, showing them what to think about when they're looking at a school location. If you're from the South and you're used to playing year round every day, do you really want to go North? Uh, you know, the size of the school, um, being away from home, you know, the major you want to do, all that. Uh, but then, you know, after, you know, then we put together a list of schools that, depending on the player, I mean, you can do this on your own or I, I help the kids I work with personally. But, you know, be honest with what your, um, you know, your, or where you're at, like in your junior golf ranking, say, or your scoring average. And I have that all laid out to help them. But, but so if you're not sure, then, you know, you pick 20 schools and put five schools, division one, five D two, five D three, five NAI. Right. And then, but if you're, uh, you know, averaging under par, you're, you're just going D one school. So, but make a pretty big list of 20 schools that fit your criteria, because I don't care how good you are, that you're, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Like they need to recruit a kid that's like valedictorian may not play on the top five because they're teething GPA so low sports like golf, the coaches are graded or judged. Their jobs are on the line, not only for performance, but for academics, their team GPA, because 
they have to make their non-revenue generating sport. So they've got to get that athletic department GPA up, you know, because a lot of kids turn pro early in basketball, football, even baseball. Right. So. Okay. Now, now, now let's, now, I don't, I don't want you to give it all away today, but there are a couple things that I do want to touch that w- while we've got it up. Cause I see the, the schedule. Let, let's talk about college recruiting video. Uh, so, you know, my, my background is like football, basketball, and the videos are kind of made for you in football and basketball. There are so many services. And one of the things that, you know, JJ and I are working on is developing a service for making these type of videos for golf, because there's a, there's a world where there's a ton of, and I might cut that out the pod because I don't want people to take our idea, but there's a, there's a world where there's a ton of people who are always recording football, always recording basketball, always recording. They're out there taking the video of them in real life. So what does a a college recruiting video look like? Yeah, so in golf, I would say it's, you have to be more specific and attention to detail. So no matter where you're sitting in the stands, as long as you have a clear view, right, and it's, you're fairly close so you can see them. Like there's not as many, like you're going to see their athleticism, their shot, you know, all that. But in a golf swing, if your angle is off, you know, by an inch, it's going to look, it's going to show a totally different pattern in your swing. And so when I was a college coach, I'd get all, nearly all of them, they'd be terrible camera angles. I couldn't tell like if that bad impact, good impact, and impact is one of those things that's really hard to change, your impact position. And so like Jordan Spieth, I heard a couple coaches when he won the Masters, we were playing a college event at Ohio State, and Georgia Tech coach was one of them. Donnie was one of them. But they, you know, didn't even want to recruit Jordan Spieth. Uh, one, because he was a Texas kid and it'd be a waste of time. He was probably going to UT. But two, yeah. they didn't think he was one of the best they could get because of his impact, you know, chicken wing position. So yeah. you've got to yeah. – and now he's a rare breed, obviously, and how he does it, we've come to find out is different than how, uh, you know, an amateur golfer does it. But, you know, you need to make sure certain aspects, you show certain aspects that they want to see, you make it as concise as possible, right? And I have a worksheet, if I'm not working with them, to how to get those camera angles right, what to show, make it short and sweet. But, uh, yeah, the angles are super important, where in other sports, I don't, I can't think of one that would be as important just because the golf swing, the physics of it, you've got to have the angles perfect. Okay. So, all right, let, let's, let's pivot real quick before we get out of here. So you'll hear um, more about the college recruiting program. You'll also hear more about um, ways that you can um, not, because I'm sure there's a lot of parents of golfers who listen to this, maybe some young golfers who find this, whether it's on YouTube or on Instagram or on, um, you know, um, the Apple podcast, et cetera. So you'll hear more about this. And, um, you know, before we pivot here and then going into the travelers, as we close out, let's tell people about your junior golf foundation also. Yeah. So, you know, when I first started, you know, 10, 11 years ago, I was getting kids that, you know, maybe want to play college golf, but they came from affluent families that could afford to pay me. Right. So I started in 2012, started working on the 501c3 paperwork so we could get local businesses to support, um, you know, the junior golfers in our community, uh, such as a Mario Carmona. Uh, so we had a, you know, who's now playing in the U.S. Open. You know, he has a degree from Rice, you know, stuff like that. And 
he was going to go to a D3 engineering school because he didn't know how to get to like, you know, those other schools. So, you know, where he's capable of playing big D1, he was capable of, and so he probably wouldn't have developed as well at a D3 school in my opinion, but because, you know, just lack of resources compared to a D1 school. Um, but what we do is we do, uh, we would do two combines a year where I bring in college coaches from all different levels and we'd have a full swing station, a short game of putting. They, the coaches would, multiple coaches at each station would grade them based on different uh, shots and what they need to improve. And then we'd have a Q&A over lunch and then we would play uh, nine holes and the coaches would watch their course management, advise them a little bit, make it a little tournament. Um, but then just getting them networking with coaches because ultimately there's a lot of variables that go into the the recruiting process for any sport, you know, it's, it's relationships. And so the, the coaches need to know they can trust you. You're going to be, you know, reliable academically. You're going to be a good uh, personality for their culture, you know, stuff like that. And obviously then there's the, you know, how much upside do you have uh, potential? And, you know, if, if, if someone tells you, you can't play at UT or you can't play at, you know, Northwestern, Tell them the they don't know because every coach I've been around so many college coaches when I was playing and then coaching college golf. There's so many different, like my college coach at Pepperdine wanted to find a kid that didn't hit that good, that just grinded it out because he knew he could rely on him to get that counting score because he always hits a bad, you know, if he's at a certain level, you know, at the AJGA level. And then, you know, but then you have the University of Houston coach who wanted to get a bomber that, you know, could he could refine because you, yeah. you know, now we can teach speed, but you can't teach that much speed, you know? So he, that's what he wanted. Um, so you never know what a coach is looking for. You never know every program situation, what they need a good GPA or, you know, they're going to go for the best player. So the last thing that we'll talk about before we'll get out of here is DraftKings. So we have the travelers coming up this week in DraftKings. We are. Um, we we will um, approach you at some point as we continue to grow for a partnership because I am a um, DraftKings fanatic. So uh, my fantasy lineup this week for the Travelers, I picked Matt Wolf as my lead guy. He went over his whole mental health struggle, talked about getting overcoming that. He played halfway decent at the U.S. Open. I think he can carry that into the Travelers, which is a much more relaxed um, golf tournament. My next person I picked was Neiman because he never misses cuts ever. Like he, and he's usually around the top 10. So that's going to be helpful. Um, Harmon I picked because I always try to pick a guy who is kind of middle of the pack, but won't be picked as much because remember DraftKings, you have to kind of pick people that others won't to get to finish yeah. in the um, then I picked Keegan Bradley because here recently he started to tick back up and he generally plays well in the summer. Uh, Molinari started playing better, you know, after his struggles, after his meltdown in the Masters with Tiger. Weight maybe? I know he may have lost some weight too, but he's definitely been playing better. And then this guy just keeps hanging around. You know, he's won already twice this year. And then he just keeps hanging around every tournament. So I picked Sink as my um, sixth guy to fill out my roster. So just, just that, what are your thoughts on, on, on the roster while I look at it? And I can well, pull up. I have two thoughts on uh, Matt Wolf is one. He's got his confidence back, obviously, from that good U.S. Open appearance. 
Yeah. Uh, and so I think maybe he'll build on that and he hits it as far as anybody and he could tear that place up. Uh, and then uh, Brian Harmon, I watched him four putt, I think, from three feet. So, <laughs> he did do that. He and did he's do one that. of the best putters in the world. So goes to show amateurs, it happens. Um, and uh, so, you know, hopefully he hasn't lost too much because he needs his putting because he's not as yeah. long as the other guys. Yeah. But other than that, I think it's a solid. And then here, here's the here's the other guys that I kind of left off. Like, so just to give people an example, for DraftKings, you only get fifty thousand dollars. So it's not like you can spend for every best player. Like Dustin Johnson would be, you know, well over, you know, uh, you know, twenty percent of your roster just picking him with that eleven thousand four hundred. Right. Bryson being 11,100, Brooks 10,700. It makes no sense to pick those guys. Well, he never wins regular tour events. Why are they putting them so it, high? Well, just because even if he finishes T5. Hey, you know who would, would be a good one? Well, I guess Abe Answer is climbing up because that's a course that would do well, you know. But 9,100, I thought Wolf just – I thought Neiman and Wolf were just better value there for that 9,100 because these are kind of the same guys in that, that vein, you know. Um, yeah. And then, you know, down the line, they always have, you know, maybe Go a sleeper. Go to the lower end so I can see. Uh, so ooh, Alex is playing. He's a PGA professional, but I wouldn't pick him for 6000 uh, But 6000 is the lowest you can have on your roster. Uh, um, yeah, I like your lineup. Yeah, so I'm, hope, I'm hoping this ends up being – I was thinking about his Abe answer just because he's so solid and hasn't won yet. He's got to break through at some point. He's got to break through at some point, but Chess I don't know Reeve, if – Chess Reeves also playing pretty well. You know, I might make a change with Chess Reeves. So, I'm going to look at this again. I've got until tomorrow at 5 a.m. To, to lock in my what lineup. About, what about your boy, uh, Harold Varner? You haven't talked no, about No, he's been him. playing terrible. He, he been playing. What was it, Carlos we interviewed that says uh, he's boys with him? We yes, we need, to be, yeah, we need to get Harold on here. So that's what well, we need. Well, I guess it's coming uh, Houston Open. We can try to try to text Carlos. We'll try to see if we can set it up. We definitely need to do that. But before we get out of here, anything you want to leave the people with? You know, I'm going to try to play some golf on um, Sunday this week. I've got a couple events on Friday and Saturday, but this Sunday I'm trying to get out and play some golf. How's your game been coming along before we wrap up? Uh, my game's coming along good. I've talked about the last tournament. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I think I'm going back to the short putter. Okay. So I think I can be out of the box. And I uh, left so many putts in the heart short that last tournament that I think I'll just have better feel. I can be a little bit more athletic with it and just react. Um, but, uh my advice to everyone is every shot that you hit, get feedback from it. Now, if you have a coach, you have, and you pay attention, you know, when you hit a slice, what are the couple things that your coach says why you sliced it? So start to pay attention to your feel, you know, after the shot. What did that feel like? What did, did I hesitate? Now, Cameron Tringali, I'll give you this tip he gave the varsity group, was the first question you always got to ask yourself after a shot was, did I 100% commit to that shot? If you had any hesitation, like you didn't know if you had the right club and you're kind of like, oh, baby it, or, you know, any sort of hesitation, don't even go to a swing flop. But if you're committing and you're hitting, you know, all these shots, get feedback, start to understand why that happens, your tendencies, and so you can fix it before the next shot. So you can rehearse, you know, what you're trying to do. And if you did it well, rehearse what you did well. And then, so then you have closure and you go on to the next shot and you can start your process over again. 
Nice, nice. And that's been episode um, 44. Um, and again, we maybe we can close it out and tell people we encourage you to train smarter since we've got the uh, new tagline on the hat. So we encourage yeah. you to um, train smarter. That's been episode 44. It's all about how you train. It is all about how you train. Especially and, um, because it's so mental. You got to train yourself a certain way so you don't fight those battles uh, being so technical and doubtful on the course. So Exactly. And hopefully we will be in person next week. Maybe we need to try to get Andy on next week because I know we've been talking about having him as our um, correspondent for um, – Yeah, he so, runs the amateur golf tour. Amateur, amateur yeah. golf tour. So, all right, that's been episode 44. We'll, we'll talk to you all soon.